Sick Harrison Price for Tuesday, February 20th, 2024. Coming to you from the Google Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. And if you're heading to a game in downtown Vancouver, maybe out for the weekend, make it a staycation. Call the Wall Center, 604-331-1000. Ask for the Sick Harrison Price rate. Blackout dates may apply. Matt Sick alongside Blake Price. Ready, Sass, Hidden Switches, conducting things alongside Madison Buckingham. we got a big show planned for you, and it's all brought to you by Applewood Auto Group. Applewood, Nissan, and Langley's got the beautiful electric leaf starting from 82 bucks a week. Plus, you get a $500 loyalty rebate. There's no excuse not to go electric now. Get into the 2024 Nissan Leaf at Applewood, Nissan, and Langley. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Do you trust the Canucks to respond to adversity? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikharrison Price on Twitter and YouTube. And we asked this following a 10-7 loss. Yes, 10-7 to the Minnesota Wild. Vikings over the Lions, Mm -hmm. yeah. And heading into a big game against a top team Tuesday in the Colorado Avalanche. And so, our big story, brought to you by Mr. Lube. The Canucks versus adversity, or is it Avsversity. I see what you did there. I see Blake Price. what you did there. I don't know that this has to do with win or loss. I think a gutsy, heroic effort, albeit in defeat, in this well, case. Hold on, hold on. What? We're, we're, yeah, moral victories, yeah. Blake, we did nine years of moral yeah. victories on this show, yeah. man. You want to bring me back two losses and you want to drag me back to the bad days of moral victories? Hey, Context matters. Was that game against the Sharks? But they stood up for themselves. No, and it, 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 that's what we don't want. We don't want them to be like this ridiculous sort of faux physicality. Like play hockey. You're you're in first place because you played hockey. I hope they play hockey tonight. I hope they try to take advantage of a goaltender with an eight ninety eight save percentage in Gorgiev, and I hope they look like themselves. And uh, you know. I, Hey, I love the stat, not losing three in a row. It's a, That is a great stat to have. It's the stat of a winner. So if they can preserve that, fabulous. But just look like themselves because they yeah. have not over the past two games. First loss in regulation after holding a two-period uh, lead and blow a three-goal lead. It was quite a game. We will get into that in a moment. So answer me the poll. You trust them? Yeah, I do. I'm going I'm, I'm yeah, to I'm, trust I'm a them. Tenuous, yes, here. Like hmm. I trust Rick Tockett to message appropriately after yes. that game and going into this game. Yeah. He has done nothing but this year. I also trust that he's going to have them prepared to play, to understand the nuances, intricacies of the Colorado Avalanche, how they want to play, and particularly on the special team side. But when you look at the Canucks in season 23-24, and we use the word adversity, Blake. That's a barren topic, really. No, yeah, they, they haven't I had mean, to do it. They have lost two in a row in regulation twice. The last time, November 16th and 18th to Calgary and Seattle. You may have to go back to the second week of the season where they lose to Philadelphia. You'll remember talk. It was upset about that one. And then come back two nights later and lose to Tampa Bay. Now, at that point, the Canucks are 2-2, two and two, and let's remember, they don't have all this success that we see now to be able to lean on. At that point, who knows where the season can go? 
because, of course, everyone's expecting that if the Canucks are playoff competitive, it's going to be around the wild card, maybe the third seed in the Pacific, but by no means at the top of the Western Conference and the top of the league. So really, this is the first time that a good Vancouver Canucks team with the notables of Elias Pettersson, Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes at all, have faced even a little bit of adversity from the standpoint of being a competitive hockey club. Our top story, adversity. Brought to you by Mr. Lube. Pioneers of the no appointment oil change, warranty approved oil change as well, and now providing tire service and sales with no appointment needed. 16 locations in the lower mainland for one near you. Go to mrlube.com. I will take you to late November. There was the, uh, you know, when they announced the new pope, they put out the, the smoke plume. Mm-hmm. Sistine Chapel. There was a uh, a smoke, uh, the regression smoke plume was sounded in late November. A loss to these Avs, a win versus the Kraken, a loss to the Sharks, a yeah. win over the Ducks, a loss to the Vegas Golden Knights. They lost three of five oh. in late November, and regression had hit in the Vancouver Canucks. The real Vancouver Canucks were about to show themselves. And then they went on and ended up winning five of the next six games. So that that. qualifies as adversity to you? We thought it was. Well, slim pickings, man. We're, (laughs) I think we're stretching. Honestly, even the two other occasions with consecutive regulation losses, I think, is a little bit slim pickings as well. Well, they haven't even lost three or five yet. Like, I just just pointed out a spot where they lost three or five and four of six. Mm Mm-hmm. And they haven't lost three of five in this span yet. What have they lost here? Four of seven? Uh, yes, four yeah. of seven with two of one of those past 60 minutes. Again, so only I'm having regulation. trouble getting worked up about this. Given three, the last three and one of Vancouver. If three, three and one hockey. is your tough stretch of hockey, you're a good team. You're a good team. Well, yesterday, as we went through and did live intermissions and live postgame, and first of all, thank you very much for everybody who joined us on. YouTube, Twitter, yeah, it was fun. Facebook, and Instagram for those live intermissions and the live post game uh, on BC Family Day, and uh, I suspect you'll be seeing more of those as we head into the playoffs. Um, you said the game felt a little Boudreaux-esque because the Canucks were not able to close out a lead, and there was all those goals. It was the first National Hockey League game with three hat tricks since November. 1992, Kirill Kaprizov doing all his damage in the third period. It was the second most five-on-three power play um, opportunities for a team with four for the Minnesota Wild since the NHL first started tracking that stat officially back in 08 and 09. It was the first teams where both scored, both teams scored seven or more goals on fewer than 30 shots, and that, of course, is the extraordinary part of this game 17 goals on 51 shots a game shooting percentage of 33 percent anyways the first time seven plus goals both teams on fewer than 30 shots since march of 1988 and it continued to and there's all sorts of other crazy stats uh about this game that we'll get into uh in a second Minnesota franchise record for goals in a game. They had never scored 10 goals in a game, of course, under Jacques Lemaire. I mean, it took them half a month to score 10 goals. Six goals in five minutes and 45 seconds is the fastest 
six goal spurt since 1999 any team mm-hmm. Minnesota set a franchise record fastest four goals in a game two minutes and 17 seconds and seven third period goals that's the sixth time it's happened in the last 24 years the uh Canucks actually are on that list ignominiously remember the Islanders game 23-2013-14 the Islanders put up a seven spot in the third period. That was at against, Rogers, wasn't it? Was that, yes, that was a home yes, game? Yes, it was at Rogers. Yeah. But you look at the uh, Canucks and their parade to the penalty box. Wild with six power play opportunities. Jets had four power play opportunities on Saturday. Red Wings had five power play opportunities last Thursday. And even the Chicago Blackhawks had four power play opportunities. So it is four straight games and five of six, where the opposition has had four or more power play opportunities. And that had Rick Tockett talking about it in the post game Monday. Take a listen. Well, uh, you got to learn how to play under pressure. You know, uh, we gave him, four, was it five, four or five on threes? Give him a, go- uh, a goal at the end of the first, and then we take a penalty after the second. Um, so, these are lessons that we have to learn how to play under pressure. Stick penalties. Our five-on-play play was good. We had uh, a lot of a lot of chances. I thought we played five-on-five. Five. Obviously, the other parts of our game wasn't good. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. When you're on top, um, people come at you um, with their best. And it's hard to be a league leader for 82 games. The Canucks are not a veteran team. They haven't been together so that they know how to pace themselves and, and be good for 82 games. I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm a little surprised at the exact nature of this game, but this kind of game, not super surprising. And they didn't look that great going into the All-Star game, I didn't think, Matt. I, I thought they were trailing. I thought they were chasing the game a little bit. They still got results, and that's what good teams can can do when you're not on your game. You can still find ways to win. I think they did that going into the All-Star game. But we've seen it now lapse onto the other side of the All-Star break as well. And, yeah, they've, they've got to be reinvigorated and, and realize that still got a quarter of the game or the season to go here. It's a long time, and you don't want to undo and get into bad habits after mm-hmm. uh, 60 games of good habits. Hassan says the team has bounced back a lot this season. I believe they can do it. Something just feels different about the team this year. I, and, and there's a lot of credence to that. Now, one of the things I do want to bring up with regards to what they're up against here in Denver, and, and frankly, I think we saw a little bit of this against Winnipeg as well. I think the book on the Canucks now around the National Hockey League is play them physically, play them to the echo of the whistle, lean on them, see if they'll respond with un, with a lack of discipline. And let's go back to Coach Tockett because he talked about the lack of discipline and those penalties undoing them. It's probably three games, four games. Yeah. It's getting, uh, it's actually stupid stick penalties. You know, you can't do it. And we got to learn. And when you play under pressure, you cannot do those things. One hooking penalty, which is your classic stupid stick penalty, the high sticking penalty. I mean, that's not. That's I not call that one stupid. No, that's not your lazy penalty. But mm-hmm. you do have to be a little bit smarter. Like, you're like, mm-hmm. um, the puck over glass is, yeah. 
it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't see a ton of tripping and hooking, which I would classify as the typical lazy stick penalty. I haven't seen a. They've really they've gone to the variety pack. I feel like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like really they've so, taken a little bit of everything against the Avalanche and this our steep Bain story, and we'll get into that in a moment. But what's important here? Maintain your discipline. Maintain your emotion. You certainly don't want to be given that power play opportunities mm-hmm. with McCarr and McKinnon. Uh, I And it's a tough balance because Tockett wants this team to play physically. I mean, it is non-negotiables, right, on four checks and being hard on pucks and eating pucks on the wall and making sure you're finishing your checks and those sorts of things. And yet... Um, the line is so thin, and they've been on the wrong side of it. I do wonder whether Tyler Myers' comments after the Saturday game against Winnipeg, it felt like we were playing two teams, was resonating in the minds of the two referees Monday in Minnesota, and whether that has some staying power with the officials, because we know the guys in stripes can be pretty sensitive to that stuff. Look no further than some of the stories we've encountered over the years. Tim Peel, Stefan Auger and others. So uh, we'll, we'll see how they respond here because there's a narrative out there. And I got to say, um, and we've addressed it several times here on the show, that the Canucks can't match up against the best teams in the league. Okay. They've got regulation losses to Vegas and Boston and Minnesota. They haven't beaten any of those teams yet. Fair enough. They have a win and they have a beyond regulation defeat to the Dallas Stars. They have a win and they have a beyond regulation defeat. I should also mention the loss to the Colorado Avalanche. So you have those four losses that stick out. Then you've got a, you've basically split with Dallas. You've gotten three, uh, even better. You've gotten three out of four points in the games against Dallas. You've gotten three out of four points in the games against the Rangers uh, you've gotten all the points against Carolina. You've beat them twice, and you've got a split against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So 7-6-1 um, and one against the top 10 teams in the National Hockey League. Nine games remaining against those teams. Two this week, tonight in Denver, Saturday back home against Boston. And I believe there's four of them in March, three in April. And there's also seems to be a narrative about Elias Pettersson and his performance against the better teams. It is true he has just the one point a goal in the five games against Dallas, Vegas, Colorado, and Winnipeg. Once again, when you extrapolate that and look at the league's top 10, 14 games against the league's top 10 right now, Elias Pettersson has six goals and 16 points. So it depends where you draw the line, but the Canucks and Pedersen himself could really do that narrative a disservice if they were to go out and win this game, avoid the first three-game losing streak of the season, and serve notice that, yes, they can beat one of those uh, best teams if we're, defi- if we're defining the best teams as Colorado, Vegas, but as, as we keep hearing with regards to this league, it's a parody league. And if it's a parody league, that means that we should be believing that at least the next five can win the Stanley Cup, not just the top five. 
So I, I don't. I think it's a little bit arbitrary to look at the top five and say those are the elite teams when I think there's a number of teams in the bottom five, never mind Edmonton and Tampa, who aren't even in the top ten. Um, I think there's a bunch of teams that could be Stanley Cup champs here beyond just the top five. I think the biggest problem is just that a few of these games have been lopsided. The loss to the Avs, 5-2. The loss to the Golden Knights, 4-1. The loss to the Bruins, 4 nothing. So it's not only that there was a loss, it was the how, it was the final scoreline being a multi-goal loss rather than a close 2-1 defeat. I think you can live with those against the, the, the top teams, but when you're being run out, and not not to the tune of 8-1 or anything, but when you're being soundly beaten by by the other team, I think that that hurts a little bit more. I, and I don't mean to to put Earth on blast here. Earth tweeted out last night, Cup contenders don't allow seven third-period goals. So mm-hmm. I was curious. Well, you can talk to him about that tomorrow when he joins us. I was curious. I thought to myself, okay, like how bad do Cup winners, and I went with Cup winners, not Cup, cup contenders. So I, I looked at the last three Cup winners, and and I also drew this back to it was five versus a goalie. I don't think we – it was an 8-7 game with, you know, 100 seconds left. So – Five versus the goalie. Well, last year, Vegas surrendered four in the third period in a loss to Calgary. The Avs the year before gave up four to the Oilers, but it was a second period, not a third. And the Lightning gave up five in the second period to the Florida Panthers on route to a loss. So two second periods and one bad third period. So technically correct in the past few years, no cup winner has allowed five in the third. But each of those cup winners had a pretty catastrophic period mixed into their Stanley Cup winning season. Mm-hmm. And yet they were able to overcome and still hoist the chalice. So I I, I think it's uh, it's splitting hairs to draw any distinctions between those four events. The big story tonight, Suri's Arshdeep Baines makes his National Hockey League debut. A 23-year-old winger, undrafted, Undrafted going into the Canadian Hockey League, the WHL, a leading scorer in that loop with the Red Deer Rebels in his overage year of 21 22 with 112 points and 43 goals. Undrafted in the National Hockey League, signed by the Vancouver Canucks, had a splendid first season with the Abbotsford Canucks and has had an even better second season. Nine goals, 30 assists, 39 points in 42 games. He's Abby's leading scorer. He was the HL. All-Star Game MVP, and the Vancouver Canucks are one of two NHL teams alongside the Florida Panthers. Jeff Patterson had this, still seeking a point from a rookie this season. Cole McWard, Akito Hirose, Linus Carlson, all of them have played games for the Vancouver Canucks. None of them have had a point. Uh, This is a massive story of local interest with a local kid done well here, taking the longer route to the National Hockey League. But here he is at age 23, fixing to make his debut. It's a great story. And, you know, um, the people in Vancouver have been looking forward to this for so long. So it, it tickled for, for him to, for him to have his father on hand for this game is, uh, is, uh, is great. Um, the, the rookie stat that you bring up is startling because the Canucks have had some pretty good rookies in the lineup. Called, perennial Calder 
uh, nominees, not to mention some other decent performances like Niels Hoaglander's rookie season and, and that sort of thing. So, but of course, Kuzmenko not called her eligible, but a hell of a first year yeah. in the National Hockey so League. So it's been last a long year. run for the Canucks getting rookie contributions. So just to to all of a sudden hit the hit the desert in that is is a little bit odd. But let's hope that Baines then can crack that egg and. Uh, and be the first rookie boy. Well, and of course, also, uh, with such a big South Asian community here yeah. in the Lower Mainland, um, once upon a time, remember Prab Rai getting attention, Canucks draft pick, mm-hmm. but it would be enormous if a local kid of with a South Asian background was able to make the Vancouver Canucks and be a part of what we think is going to be a special springtime here in Vancouver, or at least a memorable springtime here in Vancouver, with the first Stanley Cup playoffs game, playoff games at Rogers Arena in nine years. You'll remember it was the bubble the last time this team made the postseason. In fact, uh, yesterday almost reminded me of the bubble a little bit. Remember they played Minnesota in the play-in round in the bubble, and there was like all sorts of crazy mm. morning and midday starts. That's true. Yeah. So anyways. Ro- Robin Bawa, the previous. Robin Bawa, of course, one. is the OG. Yeah. He yeah. is... Uh, uh, and uh, what year do you have it in front that's of you? That's 91-92. So look, that's 30 years ago, Blake. And he played fewer games than I remember. He only mm-hmm. played two regular season games for the Canucks and one game in the playoff. Mm-hmm. I, I, to me, he had a few handfuls, but I guess not. And the uh, sport is getting more culturally diverse, little by little. And so I can only imagine uh, the support that Archie Baines is going to get, not just tonight, but when he plays his first game at Rogers Arena. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? Which could well be, I mean, we shall see, but could well be Saturday against the Boston Bruins. Next week they got home games against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Tuesday. How about that? Huh? Can you make your Rogers Arena debut either against the Bruins or Sidney Crosby and the Penguins next Thursday at home against the L.A. Kings? Anyways, this is going to be an awfully fun story to track. I hope there's not too much pressure on the young man. It's probably good that he is starting on the road here. And uh, you're going to get your welcome to the NHL moment here with Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr on the on the ice because I guarantee you there will be someone in an avalanche sweater tonight that does something that Archie Baines looks around and goes, okay, that play ain't made in the NHL. By the right? way, uh, the native of Surrey, Archie Baines, 10 years old. For the 2011 Stanley Cup. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Michael Farber, the great Sports Illustrated writer, once had a line that the golden era of sport is defined as the years between your 10th and 13th birthday. Yeah, whatever you experience yeah, there. exactly. So that Bain- is everybody's golden era. So, it's so Baines versus the Bruins? Here. Baines versus the Bruins oh, would be absolutely. a pinch-me moment I for mean, a thousand reasons. Can you imagine reasons. growing up as a Canucks fan being 10 years old for that series? It would have absolutely torn your heart out, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So anyways, uh, looking forward to the Archdeep Baines story. Everybody in this community is in his corner. One question for you. When you have so few rookies and you're getting this late into the regular season, when do you do the rookie dinner? And would poor Arshdeep be on the hook for the entirety of the rookie dinner if he's the only rookie on the club? Well, if you keep him up for long enough, you know, he can make that money. He's got to keep him up here for a bit. Oh, my God. You better keep him up for a bit. Blake, 
They're going into L.A. and Vegas in early March. That's not exactly the cheapest place to do the rookie mm. dinner. You want like Anaheim. Oh, no. You, you want like Anaheim. Where yeah, the only strip option- mall in Anaheim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not that NHL players dine in strip malls. But, yeah, you. Uh, I'm looking at March 6th, the day before the Knights game after the Kings. That could be a very, very expensive rookie dinner on the strip. Well, earn it. Let's, in, let's earn it, RC. Stay up here with, yeah. with some production here. Uh, Canucks, going back to Monday here. We talked about poor Casey DeSmith. So a 680 save percentage in the game. He's now down to 894 on the season. The goals against is now up above three at 306. He's... Seven, four, and five in 16 starts for the Vancouver Canucks, but he's one, two, and three in his last six starts for the Vancouver Canucks. Still getting points. Are, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and well, I mean, it's incredible that he's got more losses in regulation and shootout than he has in, uh, uh, in overtime or shootout than he does in regulation. But you chime, goalie guy. Are we all at all getting a little concerned mm-hmm. about the backup goaltending here no. and getting Demko appropriate rest down the stretch? No, because I think this is all part of the ebbs and flows of an 82 game season with a backup, especially when he starts as well as he did. And what do you guys always talk about with J Pat? Is you want your backup to go out there and give them a chance to win? More often than not, he's done that this season. He's gotten the single point in those uh, shootout and overtime losses. Last night was, you know, without a doubt, the worst performance of the season. And, you know, it's unrealistic to expect that he's going to be on top of his game every night, just like it's unrealistic to expect the Canucks will be on top of their game every night over 82. He's got points in 12 of... 16 yeah, starts. That's, that's, you so can't that's, ask for a lot more than that's that. That's pretty good. Only four times has Casey DeSmith started, and he hasn't given you points. And as a backup, mm-hmm. that's pretty darn good. The, yeah. but, but on the beauty points of late, they haven't been there. Nope. And the danger there is, you know, because he had started so well, I think we had some dreams that, hey, they could really lean on him late in the season if things are home and cooled. So that you've got a fresh as a daisy Thatcher Demko starting in game number one. Problem is, if the confidence does start to wane in Casey Dismissed, does Demko have to close out strong here in the month of March and April and uh, get those games played closer to 60 than most people would have wanted? Yes, Ben, you also have in the back of your pocket Archer Silovs down in Abbotsford. With that nine-game homestand coming up, could we potentially see a bit of a reward start perhaps? Maybe keep... Demko fresh if you can't fully trust the Smith or you want to give him a the little time with Ian Clark. Problem is it's still competitive for first yep. in the Pacific and the first in the Western Conference. Uh Siloffs in Abbotsford this year, 13, 10, and 5, 902 save percentage, 285 goals against with three shutouts, 29 games he's played. Uh let me extend this a little further on Casey DeSmith with the two of you. It has been on trend in the last several years, well, two for sure, to see the Stanley Cup champion require more than one goaltender yep. in the playoffs. In the playoffs, yeah. yeah. And in Vegas's case, yeah. 17 goaltenders, I believe, used last <laughs> Do we feel that this would have to be the Tampa Bay formula where Vasilevsky plays all of them and... 
you can only lean on one goaltender in the playoffs, or would either of you feel comfortable with Casey DeSmith in the playoffs? I think you'd have to be pretty dire. I, I think yeah. you'd have to be so pure backup in the playoffs. Yeah. no yeah. more. Yeah, it's okay. not your damn code. I mean, I, no, I, I hear you. Yeah, but I hear you. I'm just saying, and. We saw it the last time the Canucks were in the playoffs where Jacob Markstrom had to leave a series and Thatcher Demko stepped in and encountered the Jets have brilliantly. Got, I, I like Laurent Brossois' story, but right. the, the Jets have got Brossois behind Hellebuck. Are they better off than no. DeSmith? I don't think so. No. Well, if you have a goaltender of that caliber, you tend to – I mean, they eat up all the oxygen. And right? all the and all and the cap all space. The and all the cap space. So you can only mm-hmm. generally afford a, a more journeyman guy. But relying on Demko to get you through the playoffs highlights the fact that you need him to stay fresh down the stretch here, so you do need to Smith to find himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not – I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, it's time to go with Silovs. No, it's not. Let him – Cook down in the AHL for a bit longer. If DeSmith continues well, to struggle here, then perhaps, and like I said earlier, when you have that nine-game homestand, revisit. Here's the bone I'll throw you on Siloffs. If Ian Clark goes to Rick Talkett in management and says, guys, I think Siloffs might be better than DeSmith, give us a better chance than DeSmith, then I think you absolutely have to spot him a start at some, po- at some point. Maybe and let that and, and and at least get a little bit of evidence of that. Hey, hey guys, at this, at this point, Total Pilo's got the same stats as Silos. I mean, they, they they might they might believe in Total Pilo just as much as they believe in Silos for heaven's sakes. Mm-hmm. And with Total Pilo, that would at least be a big ask. I mean, he'd be making his NHL debut. Whereas Silos has played some NHL games. You may remember five of them last year. Encountered himself okay. Nine oh eight save. Yeah, two seventy five goals against. On a really terrible. There's really team. not much separating the two goalies down on the farm though this year. They've both played really, really well. Seelovs has played a bit more, but not a ton more. It's 29 games to 18, um, so it's uh, it, it's it's possible. But mm-hmm. I think things would have the next three to four starts are going to be big ones for Casey DeSmith in terms of the confidence the coaching staff has in him. I think a uh, few other things from Monday's loss in Minnesota, Vancouver's first time allowing six or more goals this season. As mentioned, first regulation loss when leading after two periods. Also, the first regulation loss when Elias Pettersson and JT Miller score in the same game. They were 8-0-1 going into that game. I would think, yeah. And are now 8-1-1 when Miller, who has retaken the lead from Pettersson in the team scoring race with 74 points, uh, has scored. All right. Want to take you— At least offensively, by the way. It was good to see Miller— show up again because he had been a little bit quiet offensively lately it felt like he had lost his touch and he scored beauties versus minnesota so (laughs) perhaps that bodes well one more thing i want to uh put in your craw before we move on to some trade deadline stuff Mm -hmm. um shout out to listener listener wes at wm gullison i had not come across this but you guys told me you saw something around it that it's out there the Canucks are eleven and one in the black skate jersey mm-hmm. this year, and Wes informs me they're uh, eight and six in the blue, with a couple of uh, some beyond regulation results. Are we uh, knowing the superstition of hockey players? Are we moving to a world where the black skate is either a the primary jersey? going forward, or B, at the very least, because making it the primary would you know, 
A lot of people have to sign off on that. But, of course, those same sign-offs would be very easy to get if the players went and said, we want these jerseys for the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, wearing thirds in the playoffs is not the norm. So I would be curious to know the politics of that with the league even. Oh. Um, are you, yeah, I think are you're are only you allowed to wear two, your regular home and away. I, I, I think, no, no. Are you allowed to wear two, or are you are, are you allowed are you forced to wear your primaries? Um, that's unclear to me. I think teams have worn their thirds in the playoffs, but it is with fair. It's a it's a lot of rarities. Can, can I ask, like, why would the NHL put foot down on that? Because it's um, it's not the time for dressing up in the playoffs, Matthew. Oh God. <laughs> You're not. I think that's. I, you're, you're, you're te- I went to a private school for a couple of. You're telling me it's number one dress. Yeah, and you have to cover your sho- shoulders when coming right. in as well. Ties. <laughs> Got to wear the blazer, not the sweater. Yeah. The black shoes, not the brown shoes. You're, uh, is is that? I think so. Are honestly. you being real with me? Here? I, I think or, that or is the think, genesis. Or of is it something with regards to? Um, the stanchion had something on this. I'm trying to find well, we it. We may have to ask Wyatt on this. I'm putting it on E's and O's. He had something on the last time the Canucks were third in the playoffs, and it, it had been a long time. I'll see if I can find it. Before You're telling me the team can't make that decision? Um, Put Rob I, Williams or the I think they can on. try. Yeah, get I think they can try, but again, I don't know what the pushback is like. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in uh, look good, feel good, play good? I do believe that, yeah. Okay. We've heard it from players too. I'll never forget when the Lions went to their gun medal, and the players all said that they felt bigger, stronger. Yep, more intimidating. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so for well, and intimidation is a thing in football and hockey. You're right; it's a physical game. So those sort of swagger matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would appear that the Calgary Flames and Craig Conroy are waiting on a first round pick for Chris Tanev. Mm-hmm. The interested parties there are said to be, of course, Vancouver, Dallas, Colorado, Edmonton, Toronto. And, in fact, Elliot Freeman reported Toronto offered multiple picks but not a first, and so Calgary said no. Does anything about a 10-7 loss, you think, get Alvin and Rutherford thinking about, hmm, do we need another defender? And are uh, we willing to give up the 25 first for Chris Tanev? I, I think it's it's not that that game made them, but that game is part of the empirical evidence as to why they need him. And eventually, keep pouring water into a glass, it overflows. And did that game add enough water so that the glass overflows and they think, yeah, adding one more guy like that would be would be pretty critical. Now, in again, like if you just blink your eyes, I dream a genie, and all of a sudden Chris Tanev's playing last night for the Vancouver Canucks. Do they win? Is it does it work like that? I don't know. You're going to have to explain the I dream a genie <laughs> blink to because that's officially even before old. my time. I'm officially old. Blake Price is 20 months older than me, and it just showed up. It was on after school. Not, just there. Not in my school days. Mm-hmm. Nope. Purely Scott Bayo specials for you? That's right. <laughs> Charlie was in charge. Or was it Charles? Did Charles. you go by Charles? Charles, yeah. Happy days offshoot, right? Yeah. No, no, that was not. No, no. Oh. Um, he 
he even him and his girlfriend from Happy Days had their Joni and Shachi. Shachi. Yeah. See, I got Charles and Shachi yeah. mixed up. My apologies. Again, this is on the fringes of my uh, childhood. Much more in Blake Price's wheelhouse as he approaches the milestone birthday. A couple of YouTube comments here on Chris Tanev. Kurt says, it's worth the first to keep him away from everybody That's else. That's the other calculation you have to make here. If he's going to wind up in Edmonton or Vegas. Yep. Or even if you want to play it out with a Dallas or a Colorado, someone you could face in the Western Conference Final. Uh, I mean, I'm glad. These are not easy decisions for managers. And there's been a couple of them. Don Waddell in Carolina, Joe Sackick and Chris McFarlane in, in Colorado, who have recently expressed that they're not huge on rentals. In fact, uh, I would be... Really surprised if Carolina acquires a pure rental, a bigger name rental. They have always been more about team building over a long period of time. So you've already made your play for one rental if you're the Vancouver Canucks in Elias Lindholm. And, you know, maybe you get a chance to re-sign him. Maybe you think you can re-sign him. But for right now, uh, a rental. Secondly... The Calgary Flames and assistant general manager Dave Nonis, of course, the one-time general manager here in Vancouver, have been at four straight Boston Bruins games. Nonis at three of them, as Jimmy Murphy in Boston at Murphy's Law 74 has reported. Now, you would think that's Noah Hannafin. And our friend Frank Saravelli, and we'll have Frank on the show Friday, has reported Hannafin is interested in signing with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa cannot afford Noah Hannafin uh, cap-wise right now. Maybe there's the possibility of brokerage to get Hannafin to Tampa where he could re-sign, and the Columbus Blue Jackets and some others would appear to be useful brokers at this deadline. But if Tampa can't make it work, Hannafin's a Boston guy. Are the Bruins going to be on him? Uh, should also mention the that Ryan Johnson of the Vancouver Canucks was recently scouting a Bruins or Kings game, although I think that might have been more to do with uh, being in Boston around the bean pot and not necessarily interest right. in any Kings or Bruins player. They would not seem to be trade fits with the Vancouver Canucks right yeah. now. Yeah, I, we have to be careful reading into scout team well, numbers. Yeah, and because visits. scouts make trips, but when the AGMs have three straight games, yeah. that that's a little meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll confirm, by the way, Rob Williams has already done the due diligence Please on do. this. Please um, do. Please do. An angel spokesperson confirmed to the Daily Hive, league rules prohibit wearing three uniforms in the postseason. So back in 07, uh-huh. they ditched the Orca for the modified stick and rink, the right. modern stick and rink, for both of their series. Yeah, um, against Dallas. I so, and, and so Anaheim, yeah. as I read this, wearing more than two, because they haven't used white or gold skate, you can wear black skate, black and skate you, can wait, you can wear white Orca. Just be a, heck a white of, skate be a heck jersey. of a statement. And, and the other thing, it would instantly, years from now, tell us if they were home or away, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they wore those black skate jerseys at home. and uh, I'm game, by the way. Well, I'm totally game. You know how hockey players are. Yeah. They feel better in them, clearly. 
At 11-1, and one, they clearly feel better on them. Then I wonder, will Ian Clark let Thatcher Demko wear the black pads right. through the series? Right. Because then he's going with the... Now he wears all white Explain. CCM so he can get away with it. Um as opposed to, you know, the blue and green contrasting with the black and, and yellow. So. Uh, what has he worn so far? Always the he black? Has, he has a custom white, all white with black um, lettering. Now, he did have a special black and yellow all-star pads, but I, I think that was exclusive for the game. Um, but this season, dis- when he when he wears the black skate uniform, he, he wears the white bat, the white and all black. white. Yeah, oh. they are a different set than the the green and and blue okay. one, all whites he wears. Why does Clark not like him to wear the? Uh... It makes the space to shoot at more obvious. Is that it? Yeah, essentially. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Alrighty then. Well. Let's get to today's menu. It is brought to you by Greta. And a reminder, Thursday, we are having a party at Greta. It's a fundraiser for Canucks Place Children's Hospice. Doors open at 6. We'll watch some hockey. We'll give away some prizes, food and drink specials, guaranteed good time. That's Thursday, February 22nd, Greta, 70 West Cordova. Tickets are $10. You can get them Nation Gear. .ca. We'll talk to JPAT here in a moment. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. John Shannon on all things Vancouver Canucks. And uh, look at the NFL offseason, which has begun here with the potential for franchise tags and some reporting going on out of Seattle and, of course, out of Denver with Russell Wilson. Let's uh, get to our best bets then, shall we? Uh, brought to you, as always, by Sports Interaction uh, with the local fo- focus, uh, great props at Sports Interaction. Go check it out right now. And I'll get things started because time is of the essence. I've already lost some on this. When I looked at this this morning, the Bruins tomorrow were at 220 on the road in Edmonton. The Bruins at 220. It's at 215 now. Act fast, folks. Uh, you mentioned their props and their specials. That's where I'm going. Yeah. So they have the Canucks over... Over under season total points, 110 and a half right now. 25 games left, needing 31 points to hit the over. I think that's quite doable. 25 games left, 31 points to hit the over. So that's a 112 point season? Uh, or 111. Yeah. I know the schedule is daunting. Oof. I think it's doable. Canucks over 110, Bold. 110 and a half season point. Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook and casino featuring custom props and parlays you won't find anywhere else. Speaking directly to a Vancouver sports fan, plus the best-in-class casino, thousands of games and live dealers. Scan the code, get 200% welcome bonus from Sakaris and Price. You're welcome. Sports Interaction, bet local. Must be 19 years of age. J-Pat's next. Joined now by Rinkwide's Jeff Patterson, our Canucks reporter. Well, you had playing discuss on your show yesterday, huh? <laughs> yeah, that was one you could have done by yourself, probably. Honestly, how long was Rinkwide Vancouver yesterday? It was a three-hour show? It, I don't think it was quite three, but uh, and I don't know the runtime. But I mean, what a year! Like double digits in San Jose back in November, double digits here against. 
Uh, first time since 1990 that they had surrendered 10 goals in a hockey game. And uh, it's incredible. The NHL does a pretty good job of you know getting statistics out in real time to the point that three hat-tricks in a game hadn't happened since the Los Angeles Kings had three guys themselves in an 11-4 win over the San Jose Sharks way back when. So, yeah, we saw a lot of things in that game that we hadn't seen. And one of them, and really the big takeaway for me about things that we haven't seen, is just the complete lack of composure from the Vancouver Canucks. And I think more than anything, uh, I just thought they were past this. Says yes. This group, this year, all the winning, all the learning, all the structure and the staples, uh, to watch it just get away from them in the blink of an eye. And I understand there were reasons for it, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it was breathtaking, quite frankly. And and I ran out of room on my score sheet. Like, I like to keep my own stat sheet running through the game. I ran out of room. Uh, when you get to 16 and 17 goals, yeah, space becomes a commodity on the on the stats page. And if I know your process, Jeff, you like to keep it on one piece of paper. Yeah, right? well, you absolutely. like to have it yes, one no. place. We're not going to, to a, not going to a second sheet. We're not turning a page. We're not no. flipping the page over. It's got to be one sheet. And he ran double sided. Are you a sociopath? You're right on the back <laughs> side of a paper. Come on. Hey, my parents or my grandparents were Eastern European. They grew up and we use all. Made, the yeah, exactly. We didn't throw anything up. Um, Jeff, let's just move on. We'll get back to this game in a second, but um, the Archie Baines story, and it looks like it's going to come to fruition in an NHL debut in Denver. Uh, just your thoughts on this story, because it's been a while, if ever, that we've seen a story like this. Yeah, and I mean, it would be a great story if Abbotsford's leading scorer got promoted and got to make his NHL debut on a big stage like Ball Arena, the Colorado Avalanche, but the fact that he's a local guy, grew up watching and rooting for the Vancouver Canucks and had options coming out of junior and signed with his hometown team. And, the, and that just, you know, adds so many layers uh, to this story. And, you know, my brief dealings with him at training camp and the preseason, you know, he seems like a good dude who has earned everything here. Uh, you know, came out of junior, as so many guys do, all offense, high score and has adapted in a relatively short period of time. And that's what you hear from Canucks management, the player development group, is how this guy has rounded out his game already and recognizes that the player that he was when he was lighting up the Western Hockey League as an overager in Red Deer, that's not the player that he has to be to be in the National Hockey League, and it's not the player that he has been during his two seasons uh, in the minors. So, uh, you know, he's worked hard to be the MVP of the All-Star Weekend earlier this month down in San Jose. I mean, that was a nice feather in his cap. That's not why he's getting recalled. He's getting recalled for the work that he's put in over two seasons down in Abbotsford. And the minute that they signed him, they thought, like, this was a legitimate prospect, that this wasn't, you know, a nice story, or oh, we'll bring a local guy in and hope for the best. Uh, they saw things in Archdeep Baines's game that allowed them to believe that this day was possible. So, uh uh, what an opportunity. Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr on the other side. Uh, uh, you know, the Canucks coming off the loss in Minnesota. You don't expect him to be the difference maker. Uh, that's too much to ask of anybody in their NHL debut. But I do think that this guy can provide a little bit of a spark the way that he plays. He doesn't back down. He's fearless. And, uh, you know, he's got enough puck skills, obviously. He's leading Abbotsford in scoring that uh, if he finds himself in any offensive situation, you know, hopefully he can make something happen. But uh, for him, it's about getting his feet wet, get that rookie lap out of the way, find your comfort level, and then it's game on in a place where Colorado guys, frankly, doesn't lose. they got the best home ice record in the NHL, 21-5. and five. They've won 12 of their last 13. McKinnon's got a point in every single home game this season. 
So, uh, I mean, the offensive firepower is there on the other side. We know that the Canucks don't have trouble scoring, but, uh, you know, is this message sending from the coach and who comes out of the lineup? I suppose some questions about Connor Garland and his availability, but you've got a fourth line that's struggling. You've got Ilya Mikheyev who has gone dark uh, offensively as well. So there are some options to come out of the lineup, but, uh, all indications are that Archie Baines is going to make his big league debut in Denver. Yeah, and if you're not familiar, Surrey kids, South Asian background, there's cultural significance to this storyline. You you touched a little bit on his game, Jeff, but for those who are catching up with this story, tell us a little bit more about what kind of game that Archie plays. Yeah, I, I just think that he's a guy that, you know, hounds pucks and uh, the motor is running. He's not the biggest guy in the world. Uh, he's not going to run through you, but he's not going to shy away either. Um, and I guess it's a question. Like, I hope they put him in a position to succeed. Like, I, I think it would be fascinating if, you know, if it is an Ilya Mikheyev that, uh, like, if we got to that point where Mikheyev comes out, like, it, when you've got a guy that has produced some offense at the minor league level, I, you know, I always feel like you're not putting him in a position to succeed if you're going to give him eight minutes on a fourth line in the NHL. But if he was to replace a guy like Mikheyev and play on a line with Teddy Bluger and, and Connor Garland, like, what an opportunity that would be for him. And I think it would allow him to show his two-way chops that we know that that line, when it's on, uh, you know, they don't spend the time in their own zone because they're positionally sound. They transition the puck well. And then when they get to work in the offensive zone, you know, I think he could fit in seamlessly uh, in that sort of situation. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think people, if, if they haven't seen him, like, don't think he's not the fastest guy in the league, not the biggest guy in the league. Like, I don't think he's going to blow you away with any one particular skill set. It's just the fact that, uh, again, he has transitioned from being a a big scorer as an overager in the Western Hockey League where you're 20, 21 years old playing against 16 and 17-year-olds. Uh, you know, now you're in professional hockey, the best league in the world, and he's had offensive success at the minor league level, and we'll see if some of that can translate now uh, if, in fact, he gets his shot here. It's a lot to ask of, of him in this situation uh, against a good team, as you talked about, but it's also a bounce-back game for them attitudinally. Um, and they need him to behave like a consummate pro because I'm sure that's the ask of Rick Tockett here is, guys, hello, can you be professional, please? Um, and yet, they, I mean, everything conspired against the Vancouver Canucks. They weren't themselves. They didn't react properly, but they got the odd bad call against them. They got two pucks off skates. I mean, everything conspired against them in Minnesota. I mean, in some ways, uh, they're due for some good bounces again here in this one versus the Colorado avalanche, but they still have to go out there and execute and be the first place team that they appear to be. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that sentiment, but again, I think you have to remember they were up five to two. Like they got a lot of good things going their way. And Rick Tockett tried to paint that post game that like, yes, they gave up 10 and yes, they got torched on the penalty kill and that stuff all masked a lot of the good that they did. Like, People have been a little hard on the top six and the All-Stars since the All-Star break. Well, JT Miller had one of his best games of the season. Pia Suter had been quiet, but he had three assists. You know, they got a Brock Besser goal. Those have been in short supply of late. Jeff, I thought they were going to tie it. I thought they were going to tie it at eight. I really did. Well, and and I'm thinking that Rick Tockett did as well. Uh, You know, just optically, I'm not sure that I would have kept the goalie out at 9-7. Like, there is something to me about double digits and given... Capri's off the hat trick and a freebie there at the end. Whether you lose 10-7 or 9-7, ultimately, you've given up way too many. But they did do a lot of good things. Uh, unfortunately, it's a 60-minute game. It's not 40, and they don't give out any points or prizes after two periods of play. So, you know, when you look at the way that the game unfolded, goals in the last minute of the first period, it would have been 2-0 going to the break, even though the Canucks had been outplayed. I, I, 
you wonder would that have altered like that got Minnesota on the board it got the fans into it and then obviously the the goal in the dying seconds of the second period instead of being five to two it's five to three uh again I think they felt like they were in striking distance their best players were licking their chops and then we know what happened to start that third period of play so talking has been on his guys for a couple of games now and he said it again post game like this isn't just one or two you know too many penalties uh, of late and it has been a bit of an issue and the penalty kill have been a strength since Christmas they had worked their way up there one of the top five teams in the National Hockey League uh, since Christmas, but now all of a sudden they've been uh, scored on in six of their last 10 shorthanded situations. Winnipeg got to them for two the other night, and and obviously Minnesota got four. The other thing, too, is the Canucks have, you know, one of the reasons they're still a first-place team is their top-end guys have outproduced and outperformed top-end players on the other side more often than not, but Mark Scheifele had four points the other day. Erickson Eck and Kaprizov both had six-point nights, so Again, you know, they get six. JT Miller's four points kind of feel like a chump change at that point, but it doesn't diminish the effort of JT Miller. It's just that uh, the Canucks all of a sudden are are letting other teams' top players sort of dictate and and ultimately take over hockey games. And now you're facing Nathan McKinnon, who's second in the National Hockey League, has the most home ice points in the NHL this season, and challenges don't come a whole lot bigger than that in trying to keep him and Rantanen and McCarr in check. The PK will get some criticism because, you know, four of six on the power play for Minnesota, but a lot of extenuating circumstances, PK people are in the box uh, throughout that game, which, of course, doesn't help. And they're five on threes, and I don't know about you, but I, I don't... You know, I, I'd prefer to look at a team's five-on-four PK efficiency to get a real sense of how your PK is doing. You're letting three five-on-three goals. I know that's not great, but, I, you know, two is very reasonable given you've got, you've given them four opportunities of, like, at least a minute long. I mean, I, I, I what, don't... What is conversion rate on five-on-three yeah. in the NHL? I'd be interested in that stat. Yeah, I don't have that one offhand. I know that uh, the Canucks have given up more five-on-three goals than anybody else in the National Hockey League. Um, and somebody pointed out to me too that you know when you just point out oh well the Canucks have been short five on three 11 times this season you know how many of those are uh, close to two full minutes of five on three and how many are a penalty at the tail end of one and then you know right. nine seconds of five on three every five on three sort of looks the same according to the National Hockey League in that regard so yeah I think you do have to parse the statistics a little bit more there uh, and you're right like that is so unnatural. Uh, again, I think I saw that uh, you had to go back to Torts' time, that 9-1 loss in Anaheim that preceded Torts storming the Flames' locker room where the Canucks had a seven-minute five-on-three against them, and Anaheim went to town and, and ultimately won that hockey game 9-1. to That was the last time that a team had scored five times uh, five-on-three in a hockey game. So it doesn't happen very often. Things, uh, you know, basically a decade apart here. Uh, whatever the case, uh, you know, when you, like, did they get the short end of the officiating? Maybe, but Tyler Myers clearly got away with a pick on the opening goal, and people don't want to remember that part of it. So I do think at times it cuts both ways. And ultimately, like outside of the Elias Lindholm roughing penalty on the first five-on-three, I felt the other ones were warranted. If the Canucks had a legitimate complaint, I think it was, why didn't the whistle sound when it looked like Casey DeSmith had the puck covered and then Ian Cole had the puck covered? I bet you more often than not, in that situation, a whistle sounds. But in that moment yesterday, the play was allowed to continue. You have to play to the whistle ultimately. And uh, that just continued that snowball effect there that uh, ultimately uh, led to the 10-7 loss. So look, they've been good about bouncing back all season long. I'll give them an opportunity, but uh, this one's a little bit of a different beast, obviously going into Colorado back-to-back. 
at altitude with an avalanche team that hasn't played since Sunday afternoon. So they will be the more rested team at home. And uh, Canucks played hard against Colorado back in November, lost five to two uh, in their last meeting. So they played with them for 40 minutes, but ultimately Colorado pulled away and, uh, you know, three losses in a row for the Vancouver Canucks. <gasps> Gasp. Could it be, mm, uh, you know, the fact that we're sitting here past mid-February and they haven't lost three in a row is absolutely a, a, a tribute, a tribute to, uh, the kind of season that this Vancouver Canucks team has put together. This is dated information from December 8th. It's Gabe Desjardins is behind the net site. Um, five on three, 60 seconds of five on three. It's a 30% conversion percentage for just that season. Now it stands to reason if you double that, okay, so it moves to 60%, but of course there's very few two minute five on threes. There's usually just, mm-hmm. you know, a minute and change. And incidentally, it's a 12, it was a 12% conversion rate on a, for a 60 second five on four back then. So gives you a, an idea of the scale. More than uh, doubles the percentage. Yes. It yeah. more than doubles the yeah. percent. Okay. So let me ask you the poll then. Do you trust the Canucks to respond to adversity, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and predict a win. I, I, I think they're up against it against Colorado, but I am curious to see how do they control the things that they can control? Uh, do they show a little bit more discipline if the game gets away from them, if they fall behind, you know, you, you can't throw in the towel. You can't look to the referees and throw your hands in the air, 60 minutes of hockey. And so I'm looking for a response that way. And I'm not talking about a physical response. Uh, I just want to see this team sort of show the professional discipline that's necessary to deal with some of the hurdles that you're going to face down the stretch and into the playoffs. So it, everything's gone the Canucks way this year. It, that's just not the way it normally is. And so I think that they have to be prepared to deal a little bit better with adversity. And I, I go back, we haven't talked since the Winnipeg game, but you know, did they feel they got the short end of the calls there too? Maybe, but guess what? It was two, two going to the third period. Like that's a game that the Canucks win most of the time. They find ways to get the goals they need. And in that case, uh, game got away from them. And then obviously the game in Minnesota got away from them. So uh, back to the staples, back to the non-negotiables, uh, you know, Rick Tockett has instilled an awful lot of uh, confidence in this group. And, you know, I, I think that's maybe the disappointing thing too, is that if all of their top end guys had taken the day off in Minnesota, you'd think, all right, like those kinds of games happen, but they score seven. They get two goals from defensemen. I was looking at it. They Every defenseman in uniform had a point. Like that doesn't happen very often. Minnesota scored 10 and only three of the defensemen chipped in yesterday. So like, again, things happen for the Vancouver Canucks. Unfortunately, too many things happen in their own zone. And one of the things that kind of has flown under the radar a little bit, guys, too, is that like Quinn Hughes and Philip Aronik were on the ice for five of the 10 Minnesota goals. Now, couple empty netters, so that does factor into it. But still, if you're on the ice for five goals against in the National Hockey League, uh, that's not a great day at the office. And that pair has been so good for the Vancouver Canucks, but didn't like, uh, you know, sort of how easily they allowed the Wild to score a couple of their five-on-five goals. And the one off the skate late in the first period, Quinn Hughes had pretty good stick position, but you need some body position there. And then the other one, and maybe they were caught on a line change, but Matt Boldy gets in behind the defense and, and made that one look pretty easy as well. So, you know, if we're looking for responses and we're looking for bounce back and all that kind of stuff, I think it has to start at the top. The captain, Quinn Hughes, I'm not sure that he's played his best hockey since the All-Star break. And with McCarr on the other side tonight, uh, the stakes are high. Uh, let's hope that Quinn Hughes has one of those Quinn Hughes-type bounce back games himself and uh, the rest of the team 
follows in line. Yeah, the Rossi goal. I mean, uh, yeah. they just ate, they just ate that pair's lunch on that goal. But I the, mean, being behind the net, got possession, got it to the net front. It's in the, it's uh, behind the Smith and in the goal. One uh, Top Gun didn't play the last night, guys. That you know, you talk about the Top Guns showing up. One guy didn't play, and that's Thatcher Demko. Did, does Thatcher Demko win them that game? And I think the answer is yes. And I think that tonight versus another goaltender that has an 898 save percentage in your give. Um, that's you know, your big advantage. That's your big advantage here. Mm-hmm. Like that's your bounce back, isn't it, Jeff? Well, and look, I understand where Rick talk. It was coming from yesterday's hands tied a little bit, knowing that Demko was going to get the start today. And so that oh, for was sure. Casey yeah. dismissed game. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I think there's enough to go around here. I'm not sure that I like the coaching job of Rick Tockett. And I haven't said that very often, but no timeout. Uh you know, where was a chance to show a little emotion behind the bench, but maybe he was worried of taking a penalty that uh, his team couldn't kill off. <laughs> uh, whatever the case, it seemed a little passive behind the bench. And I guess playing the, you know, pulling the goaltender, Minnesota did, and it worked out okay for them. Uh, Tocchet probably just didn't feel he had that at his disposal. So uh, we'll never know. But yes, I'd like to think that somewhere along the line, your goalie's got to be your best penalty killer. Thatcher Demko generally is that. And it is... You know, it's not front burner, but again, I think it's worth mentioning that Casey DeSmith, who was so good prior to Christmas, has one win in six starts now since Christmas. They need him to play. Like, Demko can't play every game. And I do wonder, after giving up eight and a 10-7 loss, you know, the Canucks have these three losses on the record now when they've had a lead after two periods. All three of those have been with Casey DeSmith in goal. Like, you've got to find a way to lock it down. He had a 5-2 lead to work with. He had a 3-1 lead in Detroit not that long ago in the third period. Uh, you know, So I am curious where they are with that goaltending dynamic right now about, well, do they still trust DeSmith the way they did early in the season? Or you know, where are you going to get him some spot starts here? Because Thatcher Demko, you know, the pace that he's on right now is okay, but he's going to be close to a 60-game pace, which... You know, that starts to get into dicey territory when you need him rested and ready to go in the playoffs. And they are still going to be a playoff team despite the bottom falling out yesterday. I think we do have to keep big picture stuff here in mind. But goaltending hasn't been an issue. But I do wonder a little bit moving forward here, what do you do with Casey DeSmith? Do they still have the same confidence and trust in him uh, that they did earlier in the season? Because he's not delivering victories when he gets in there between the pipes. Uh, great shout, incidentally. Very passive on the Canucks bench last night. We were sitting in here talking about that as we watched the game. Uh, no timeout from Tockett. You mentioned McKinnon. Is he your Hart Trophy favorite right now? And we talked a lot of Hart Trophy earlier in the year, gentlemen, I may remind you. Is there any chance in what's left in the schedule, Jeff, that you think a Canuck could take a run at the MVP? I don't. Uh, I think there'd be some vote splitting just with the seasons that they've had. I think that there's now a fascinating goal derby for the Vancouver Canucks uh, own team uh, goal scoring race and points as well. But I no. I mean, there's a gap there. Kucherov and McKinnon, obviously. We'll see what Nathan Mc, or what uh, Connor McDavid has to say. Of course, now I'm seeing all of these stories originating out of Toronto. How can anybody but Austin Matthews be the Hart oh. Trophy winner with the goal scoring season he's having? And it, it is ridiculous the pace that he's on, but like, honestly, I've seen a couple, like, how can it be anybody, but, well, I can make a pretty strong argument, I think for a couple of other candidates. So this idea that it's just goal scoring for, for Austin Matthews, uh, Nathan McKinnon is one of my favorite players to watch. I uh, just, I can't imagine trying to defend him. And that's going to be the challenge for the Vancouver Canucks, obviously. But, uh, I think McKinnon, uh, the pace that he's on, 
uh, the way that he's playing, uh, just controlling games and dominating games and winning games on his own. Um, you know, I think he's going to be right there until the end. So I, I, I still think it's a three or a four horse race in terms of uh, the heart. And I would think that Nathan McKinnon is right there in the middle of things and two games left against the Vancouver Canucks. So we'll see how they go about defending him starting with this one. Same question on the Calder. Is Hughes the favorite right now? Is it McCarr? And, you know, we talked Saturday. No, that Norris, Bu- I mean, Norris. Or, sorry, Norris. Yeah. Norris. Um, we talked about the Vezina on Saturday, Hellebuck and, and uh, Demko yeah. as a showdown. Uh, what's your sense on the Norris and whether Hughes is ahead of McCarr at this stage in the proceedings? Well, he is by points, and that certainly will get people's attention. Uh, by the way, Kale McCarr's gone five games without a point, longest stretch of his NHL career. So, uh, you know, that he's going to be fueled and motivated to uh, put an end to that. Yeah, I, I think Queen Hughes, you know, early on, there were still some slights around the National Hockey League, and then it felt like the entire Canuck fan base rose up. And and I think people around the league started to take note of the way that he was tilting the ice in the Canucks' favor. Just not the points, but, uh, you know, again, he is sort of... Uh, he's changed the way we define defending because he spends most of his time up ice and, and doesn't have to defend an awful lot. Yeah. I, I want to believe that, uh, you know, it's probably close and and maybe McCarr has closed the gap a little bit and obviously he's got the pedigree. And so some people may lean his way, but I, I think Quinn Hughes has done enough. I just think Quinn Hughes hasn't been his dynamic self since the all-star break that the points are there. He's so talented that uh, I think he's got six points in, in eight games, which would be great for most guys. But uh, for Quinn Hughes, that's a, a 60 point pace as opposed to, you know, the 90 point pace that he's on for the season. He has fallen off the hundred point projection. Now, like he's going to have to pick that up again here. Now, if they get the power play going, I think that would go a long way to right. helping him in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I just, I want to see him getting back to, dominating and just taking over hockey games and being untouchable. And you saw Winnipeg and Mashnikov got a pretty good piece of them in front of the Canucks bench. I think more and more teams are going to try uh, easier said than done to, you know, make his life miserable. And he knows that when he gets to the playoffs, that's certainly going to be the case as well. So a lot of this is good preparation for him. Uh, I just think that his play has fallen off a notch, which isn't a knock on him. It's just that he has set the bar so high. I don't think that he's at that level right here, right now, but hopefully he'll get back there. And the uh, forgotten guy, not in the Norris race, but just on the Colorado Avalanche, Cranbrook's Bowen Byram, three straight two-point games going into this mm, Which one. is good because he had begun to uh, look like uh, he Apparently Coach read him the riot act, uh, yeah. and uh, he has responded here. Great stuff, Jeff. Thank you for this. We'll catch up on Friday. All right, guys. Sounds good. Here's a price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Mitsubishi in Richmond, the home base for my Mitsubishi. I'm going to get a visit from yours truly this week. Time to uh, get a little freshen up on the old uh, Outlander. Should we advise the trumpeters and the rose petlers? Your arrival? I mean, I won't say no to that. Check out the relaxation room there. I will. Fantastic. <laughs> All in stock models at Mitsubishi and Richmond. Finance it with finance starting from 2.99%. Plus, you get the industry's best warranty each and every time at Applewood Mitsubishi. It's all good at Applewood. 
Poll question today, we're asking you, do you trust the Canucks to respond to adversity? Yes or no, you can vote at Sick Harrison Price, Twitter, and YouTube. Speaking of Twitter, hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter.com. Blake, I'm going to lead us off. Um, an interesting note in James Sharman's column in the Toronto Star. I'll pick up the at Glass City FC uh Quote tweet, Thierry Henry, the legendary Arsenal, Barcelona, and France striker, is said to have an interest in the Canadian men's national team job. Now, of course, he coached CF Montreal. Yeah, not a noted manager. No, as Glass City says, Henry would be a great hire. Who better to coach tier one players than someone who's been one himself. Okay, he didn't work out in MLS coaching whatever CF Montreal was putting on the pitch that year. But at the national team level, with guys like Davies and David and others, do you want someone who has been in those boots, so to speak, understands the pressure of being that level of player on a national team and having success? He's uh, assisted Belgium since then. Um, He... I think he might have been with Belgium at the World Cup when Canada faced them, in fact. Um, and he's currently in charge of the U21 French team. Um, I mean, I, I love the bloodline part of it and and the elite bloodline part of it, for sure. I just wish it was somebody with a few more managerial chops, mm-hmm. um, X's and O's-wise, because that's the thing. Canada's got talent. They need X's and O's. Mm-hmm. And is Thierry Henry the guy to give them that? Yeah, not sure. Have I ever told you I have a friend who's a dead ringer for Thierry Henry and he lives half his year in Europe and so as he travels around Europe he has starstruck people coming up to him and he speaks perfect French. Does, so he, he, does he sign he, autographs? He just puts it on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would do that too. He does, he does photos. And... That's great stuff. Um, Chicago Blackhawks reporter at Mario underscore Tirabasi. I don't care that the goal was waved off or offside. And I don't care that the game was 5-1 at that point. Neither of those things matter long-term. Connor Bedard staring down Spencer Martin after this goal is rock star shit, and I love it. <laughs> the two had a bit of a war going on earlier in the game, Bedard and Martin bumping into oh. each other. And uh, maybe Bedard didn't like the way that he tended goal as a Canuck, as a, as a Vancouver <laughs> Canuck, but he scores a falling down goal in the third period. Yes, to make it just 5-2 to two for the Hurricanes. But he stares down Martin, and, and to Martin's oh, no. to Martin's credit, oh no, Martin uses his goalie stick and points at the scoreboard. Yeah, well, as he should. Yeah, because really, I don't think either side wants this smoke. No, uh, number one, Spencer Matt, Martin, pick your battles, son. Yeah, that one. Yeah, this is Derek. Might not be a winner. Derek Martin versus Michael Jordan. <laughs> I was gonna say. Yeah. Over time, that one might not be a winner. And then, if you're Bedard, you do have to have a know. sense of occasion. Yes, yeah. the scoreboard matters most. Uh, at Chris Vanini, for an event with all the bells and whistles, the dunk contest just has no juice anymore. Announcers don't care. Crowd doesn't care. People courtside don't care. Judges judges have no clue. The participants have no energy. I think we've run out of dunks. There's nothing left to do. 
Yeah, a lot of criticism of Kenny the Jet Smith and the broadcast of All-Star Saturday Night, including they flat missed a dunk live somehow, some way. But I think there is something to the I think we've run out of dunks line from Vanini. Yeah. Uh, I got to say, a number of years ago, that great Aaron Gordon dunk contest with uh, Levine uh, from Chicago. Levine, from, that one was good. And uh, McClung last year brought a little bit of energy. But it's almost like you have to suffer through four or five of these things before you get to the next seminal one. We have been of here before. We have- st- yeah, we've been here many times yeah. before. Yeah. Of course, the stars don't really participate anymore. What made the dunk contest great in the 80s, you had Dr. J and Michael and Dominique, like these absolute stars of stars who are having at it. But also part of a bigger conversation around NBA All-Star Weekend, Commissioner Adam Silver promised a more competitive game, and the East became the first All-Star team to score 200 points, and you could tell that Silver was some perturbed when he handed over the trophy saying you become... The first team to score 200 points. Well, congratulations. Very muted. Yeah. Uh, LeBron James talked about how they do have to bring more competitive juice, but by the same at the same time, nobody wants to get injured. Anthony Edwards of the Minnesota Timberwolves, who's a very young player and young all-star, talked about he wasn't going out and giving this a big effort. And I think that's just where we are now with the grind. Like for, the owners can't have it both ways. The owners only can't have it both ways. If you want to forge an eighty-two game schedule and then four rounds of best of seven, and then oh by the by, we're going to play internationally in the summer every two years, a World Cup or an Olympics, then you can't expect these players to also go out and give a shit about something that's an exhibition. Well, here's the thing, too. Basketball's hard. Like, it's hard on the body. It's exhausting. Like, people go for skates. Like, why it would be nice to see just a little more juice in the NHL game is skating's fun. Like, it's at high speed. You 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 get a, a, a I don't know, like a stimulation from from skating. It's, it's, you're at speed. You're faster than you would normally go when you were running. It's fun. Uh, running around, playing D, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. Especially defense. Yeah. So uh, it's a lot to ask of them, I think. And, and and you know what? Kill the dump contest for a few years, and then people will want it back. They, they will. But right now, it's dead. Well, I do wonder whether they've stumbled upon something um, with Sabrina Ionescu and the shooting competition of a WNBA star versus an NBA star, um, particularly with Caitlin Clark coming into the WNBA. Yeah. If you don't know her, she's the NCAA's all-time leading scorer now at the University of Iowa. Or you uh, maybe you do... Uh, well, uh, other people have said, because they saw Luka Doncic doing some crazy shots, why not a horse competition? Mm-hmm. Totally. You or, see what Donkic was doing? Standing over by the scorer's table, one bounce and in. Like shooting these big rainmakers, one big bounce yeah. and swish. Yeah, have a have a four-person bracket or an eight-person bracket and play horse. Well, it the might only take problem too long. there is, um, and this is certainly a reflection of my basketball skill, but I also think it, it – it, it portends for even the best in the world. Unsuccessful horse attempts are not 
very exciting. No. Nope. And you can tend to have a number of them. And you just, again, you run out of shtick. That's the other thing. At Bill James Online, baseball analyst. Nerd. Baseball nerd. The king nerd. of the nerds. He is the reason you have nerds all over. This is, but this, this, Sports front to, me, this to me stretches out. The sabermetrician, the original. This stretches out across all of sport now. I have to take responsibility for partially or even largely convincing a generation of researchers to write off situational hitting variations as flukes. I may have been wrong to do that. We have vastly better data now than we did 40 years ago. Let's look at the options again. Oh, wow. And this is a great come-to-Jesus moment here for analytics mm-hmm. in that you don't know what you don't know. And as analytics has taken its rise, mm-hmm. many an analyst has been guilty of say, of looking down their nose. And all you've got at that point is what you know, but there's stuff you don't. And Bill James is realizing that now that, huh, so he he believes in clutch he, now? He's starting to believe in the prospect of wow. clutch. Because for the longest time, the analytics folks in baseball will tell you there is no such thing as clutch. The reason Big Poppy hits huge home runs in the World Series and the playoffs is because he's a damn good hitter, right? He is more likely to be clutch, yeah. quote unquote. The, what I love about this is um, twofold. Uh Number one, that Bill James has not done learning all these years later. I mean, we're talking about a guy who credit four, to four, him forty some years ago. Great man, hasn't here. fallen in love with his method. Yeah. Is forever self scouting, if you will, mm-hmm. because to me that's been one of the big dichotomies between the original analytics crowd, who are science based, and if like you get to the you know professional scientists, like they're looking at their method, they're looking at their method, they're looking at their method. They rarely get to the point where they believe mm-hmm. they have an undeniable, unassailable truth. Whereas what I have seen in sports analytics, particularly recently, particularly with younger generations, is they seem to think that they have gospel. Well, that's the problem. Is that stage two of the analytics was the general public catching up to the basic analytics stats and going, oh, okay, now I understand those things. Right. And then the analytics going, oh, my God, that's so, like, 10 years ago. Like, we don't even – that doesn't mean anything or, to or us Or just the now. general public taking the time to learn it and then going, that's it. I've got it. I'm most informed. I have your answer. But, but yeah, but, again, this there's an evolution. So now that you're looking down your nose because they are still quoting Corsi and you're moved on to blah, blah, blah – in 10 years' time, you're going to be laughing that you paid attention to blah, blah, blah. Like, you just just try to be a little bit more understanding that it's a fluid situation, and you don't know what you don't know. Lastly, for me, a couple I'm going to read. If we are, in fact, reimagining golf, or at least reimagining the men's professional tour in the United States of America, can we all agree on a couple of things going forward to make the game better? At Mike McGee Annika, this is Annika Sornstrom's um, oh. husband. It's time to stop the nonsense of players being disqualified for signing an incorrect scorecard. 
That rule was meant for the old days when it was only the players in the group that could vouch for each other. Today, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people following these marquee groups each week. Everybody knows what everybody shot. Computers, walking scores, media. A simple scorecard signing error should not matter. Jordan Spieth disqualified this Mm -hmm. past weekend with a scorecard signing error. And while um, while I agree that... You have to draw the line somewhere because not every tournament, not every professional event is going to have the level of oversight of the PGA Tour. On the PGA Tour, can we not agree? And then while we're at it, at PGA Tour, it took Denny McCarthy just one hour and 23 minutes to complete his front nine at the Genesis Invitational. He was the first man off in a group by himself and fired a four-under Thirty-one. Now, obviously, if he has a playing partner, we're adding time to that. But still, add 30 minutes to it, you're still under two hours for the front nine, which means you're still under four hours for a full round. Maybe I'm guilty of having watched too much Patrick Cantley over the weekend, but if baseball, the enduring sport of 150 years old, can go about saying, we've got to quicken the pace of the game. There's too much downtime. We are doing this for a paid audience, and we've got to get to it a little quicker. Damn it, golf can too. And let's start by saying, any putt inside of two foot, two feet, don't mark it. Go on up and finish it. That's part of the game now. That's part of the test, that you can't linger over 18 to 24-inch Putts, which you see routinely on the PGA Tour. Yeah, I. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a. I remember reading an article about why traffic exists. Like there can be like no incident. Like what? Why does on on a, on a six lane highway? Why does traffic exist when there theoretically is enough oh, space? No, no so, doubt. If so he's he, playing behind someone, he's. Like even if everybody's playing pretty fast, it does slow it down because you can't just do it whenever you want. There is a consideration to be made, just like there's a consideration to be made when there's other cars on the road. But like, like these are the best players in the world. Yeah, they are almost never searching for a ball. Mm-hmm. Like you and I play in four, four and a half hours with in a group of four at Northland. Yeah, these guys are never searching for a ball. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's. I mean, they you, don't have the delays of amateur golfers in the least. The private clubs in in the lower mainland all have time limits, and if you and if you exceed them, you get warnings, and then eventually you can have playing privileges suspended. Um, so, like the the crowded private clubs in in town, if you're constantly playing over four hours, you're not teeing off next week. So, you know, it is possible. You know, those are full courses, and they're playing in under four hours. It is possible. Last one for me at Softy KJR. Dave Softy Muller had a President's Day show. I saw that. Full participation hmm. from everybody. Interesting concept. <laughs> Quote, those things that prevented the team from being here have been cured. Todd Lewicki on the return of the NBA to Seattle. I asked him about the NBA ownership structure in Seattle. Says he needs to be careful about that, but that, quote, David Bonderman Loves basketball. Oh, here he, we go. He also said, sounds like Lewicki and the Kraken are indeed preparing for options if Root Sports goes away. That's the regional broadcaster. We're not an organization that gets caught flat-footed. 
was very complimentary of Root and wow. cognizant of the relationship with the Mariners. Mm-hmm. So um, it sounds like they've got a streaming option well, lined so, up. Silver Silver said it was highly likely that the NBA is expanding by two teams, and I think we all know it's going to be Seattle and Vegas, yeah. right? So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think only a matter of time. They're going to call them the Sonics, right? Yes. Yeah. Do you think any owner would have the uh, chutzpah to go different name? I don't think so. No. You'd be stupid. Yeah. It's a built-in brand built-in recognition. Brand. And people still love them and miss them, and you can see the logo all over the place. It's still a unique color concept. Oh, Does anybody come close absolutely. to that? Nobody in, in the NBA, nobody has gorgeous. those gorgeous. colors. No, I don't think so. Gorgeous uniforms, plus a lot of history, including an NBA championship. Yeah. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by the former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, the co-host of the Bob McCallum Podcast, is the one and only John Shannon back with Sir Harrison Price. Were you not entertained? Oh, are you kidding me? I was entertained. I was waiting for Russell Crowe to show up. <laughs> I mean, uh, and you know, here, here's, here's the thing I would say to uh, Canuck fans. Don't worry about it. This is not a major catastrophe. Saturday against Winnipeg, Monday in St. Paul. You know, this team has really not faced much adversity at all this season. Uh, And this is not a bad time of year to face it as you prepare for, you know, the the stretch and, and the playoffs. They're in a really good spot. The team has to learn how to lose. And in order to then compensate and figure out how to win properly, I loved what Rick said after the game. That they that you know he wasn't angry; he was frustrated, I'm sure. But that to me is is I think this is an important part of the season as a learning curve for this team that is quite frankly relatively young. Well, that's our poll question today. Do you trust the Canucks to handle adversity? It sounds like you're saying yes, John. Well. I, no, I, what I'm saying is, is there, what's the third one? Maybe <laughs> um, what I'm saying is they, if, if they can manage through this, then they'll be fine. And I think, I do think they will be fine. I do think there's enough veteran leadership amongst the, the Millers of the world. Um, but this is really important for Pedersen to go through. This is important for Quinn Hughes to go through. Uh, not everything is rosy all the time. I mean, I, you know, just as a, a complete aside, the first two years, Yarber Yar, who had his number retired on Sunday, was in the National Hockey League. The Penguins won the Stanley Cup. I think he figured they'd go to the Stanley Cup every year. You know, and so this is the first time for a lot of these young guys that they are at the, they're, they're a target on their back. They're at the top of the table. Um, you know, you better get used to it and you better learn from it. It's also hard to go 82 games at the top of your game. Um, the only teams that I can think of that have really done that successfully in the last 25 years, the Red Wings went crazy that one year where they had single-digit losses, and then the Bruins, would, last year, two years ago, where they, they were Last amazing. year, the Bruins, last and year, the several Bruins. years ago, of course, Tampa. Um, I mean, it's, it, and generally, those teams, certainly the Red Wings, certainly the Bruins, had players that have been there and done that, and knew how to do that this is a bright-eyed bushy-tailed team um 
That's it. Would have would have been a big ass to have eighty two games at a seven thirty winning percentage. Well, and, and eighty two games. How about four years? You know, and, and one of the reasons I think you guys have me on is always to talk about history. Um, and um, the New York Islanders. Yeah. The New York Islanders in the seventies. People were impatient with them when they lost to Toronto, when they lost to the Rangers the following year, and prepared themselves to win four consecutive Stanley Cups. The Edmonton Oilers lost in eighty two to the Los Angeles Kings in that first round series, the, you know, the miracle on Manchester and then lost the Islanders in 83 in order to, to be ready to win four and five. This is a reality of what goes on in the national hockey league. And this is, you know, what Rick Tockett always talks about is process. This is process. Learning lessons is what he calls them too. Yeah. Yes. Funny thing is he he mentions that Islanders lost to the Leafs, the Lanny McDonald goal. That might still be the biggest, most recent goal in Leafs history. Yeah. 46 years later. No, I'm not sure. No, no, the Leafs no, have had a bigger no, goal no, than no, Lanny against the Islanders. Now you're showing your age. Come on. Really? Where are you going? Doug Gilmore? Where are you going? Gilmore? I guess Gilmore. I, I think Doug Gilmore against Curtis Joseph, which, by the way, as another total aside, when I worked for the Maple Leafs, because they signed Curtis Joseph, we weren't allowed to show the goal in the arena. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, God. But I, w- I would also say that, you remember, that the Maple Leafs under Pat Quinn were a team that did get to the NHL Stanley Cup semifinal, Mm-hmm. And I think the Steve Thomas overtime goal in game two against Buffalo, I think that was a pretty mm-hmm. big goal that people have forgotten. L- listen, uh, they, lost the that series. they lost that series, though. And I know. But it, to Steve hey, Shields, no less. Would Wasn't you guys stop sure? talking I'm Leafs sorry. here? Okay. Stop, it. stop it. Stop um, it. One game's not going to change the Canucks' trajectory. Or I was trying to get Pat Quinn in the conversation. Ah, there you go. Thank you. Quinn is people. the tie that binds. Okay, that's right. One game's not going to change anybody's minds, but one game can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So, you know, management's not going to see that game and say, okay, now we've got to go get blah, blah. But they might be, might have been thinking strongly about acquiring so-and-so. And then that game happens and they'd be like, absolutely, we need to get him now. Um, you know, is that is that Chris Tanna? Do you, do you think they would ever think like that, where that's the straw that breaks the camel's back and they absolutely feel the need to get some experience to get more defensive stopping? I don't think it changed any plan that Patrick and Jim have. Yeah. I think that they know exactly what they think they need. They are trying to work it out, whether that's Chris Tanev, whether that's another defenseman. I think, you know, this is the way this group works. Identify the need, go identify the product and try try to connect dots. That's so I don't, I, I think if you look at a single game or two games uh, for a sample size to say we're going to go in this direction, now I think that's a huge mistake, and I think that Jim Rutherford would never do that. How do you feel? Because the narrative is out there uh, about the Canucks against the best teams in the league. One and now, five, I think, against the top five, correct? Is right, right. But seven, six, and one against the top ten. So it kind of depends on where you draw the line, where you want to where you want to make the tier. Yes, they have lost to Vegas. They have lost to Colorado. They have lost to Winnipeg. They have lost to Boston. If you expand that to include the Rangers of the world, the Carolinas, the Floridas, the Torontos, they look a, they look a lot better than that. But where are you in terms of how co- confidence level 
on the Canucks versus some of the best teams in the league. Drawing the line wherever you see fit, Mr. Shannon. Yeah, I, um, you, you know, I, I again, I think I go back to what the next, what is it, 27 games are supposed to bring. This team's going to make the playoffs. This team has, you know, is on the verge of learning how to play the game properly. And this is a, this learning time. I'm not worried about, I'm not worried about seven, six and one in February. Uh, I'm worried about uh, when there, there are no score and no games played the, the middle of the middle of April. Um, this team can win. This team can play that way. They just have to bear bear down and 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 deal with what Tocket and Foot and Gonchar and Yo want, um, and so I, I think that that's what these the rest of the regular season is all about. Don't if we take these numbers in 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 in, in a certain way and say, well, they can't do this. Are, are you kidding me? This team scores more goals than anybody else in the National Hockey League. It has become a really effective five on five team. Are we concerned about the penalty kill? Yeah, we're concerned about the penalty kill, but you know they have time to work on that. Are you are you are you concerned about Quinn Hughes and and Philip Ponick? No, I'm not concerned about them. Are you concerned about Thatcher Demko? No, I'm not concerned about him. Uh, you know, I think it, I, I don't think you can take it in these small sample sizes and worry about situations. Tell me at the end of the year. And if they've lost in five games in the first round, then that's worth a discussion. But I just don't see that. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I think we're we're doing a little bit of chick little in Vancouver when we do that. When at a time when they should, this game thing should be celebrated. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. Here is something I am a little bit concerned about, and I'd like both of your feedback on it. I am concerned about them playing in hostile environments in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I say that potentially I'm scarred. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, the players on this team who do have postseason experience have it in a bubble in empty arenas, right? Like it was an empty Rogers, what is it, place in Edmonton. Yeah. Um, it was not in a hostile environment. And what can a hostile environment do in the postseason? Well, ask the 2011 Canucks. And Roberto Luongo well, that, and that fantastic team that absolutely spit the bit in three. Well, that's games for some of the young core guys like Bluger and and Lindholm and, well, but, and others. No, have, yeah, but that's been, what I mean. I mean, yeah. your top players. Uh, yeah, you know the guys who will be logging most of the ice time. Fair, unfair. What says the two of you? I think you're scarred. I think it's. I think okay. you're. I think you're Canuck lens, and and for good reason. Impending doom. For good reason, as Donnie says. <laughs> John, I I I I think you're looking a little too closely, Matt. I, I really do. I mean, there was, there will be no more hostile environment than what you saw yesterday at XL Energy Center. There, That's part of what they're going to be going through now. That really is. Um, you know, these guys have played in tough places before. No, not necessarily in this country. When, you know, when person plays for Sweden at home. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't see that as an issue. And by the way, uh, on the on the other side, there may not be a better home ice advantage in the National Hockey League than Rogers Arena for the Vancouver Canucks. So there's a positive side of that as well. So I, I, I 
I, I think we might be uh, drilling a little too deep on that. And right remember, JT okay. Miller played three rounds with the Tampa Bay Lightning in one year, mm -hmm. uh, four rounds in total. Uh, he went two rounds deep with the Rangers once, three rounds deep with the Rangers another time. Like, there's, he's got playoff yeah. experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm more concerned about. I'm more. Tell you what, I'm more concerned about health than I am. Oh, of course, of course, you know, so. of course. Uh, speaking of Dakota Joshua and. He leaves the lineup after a career game, and they've lost both of them. I, th I think it's telling us what Dakota Joshua means. I to tell you what, I, I was so disappointed about that because I, I thought on Saturday night, and you guys got a sense of Saturday with the Jets, I thought we were going to see the best third line in hockey at times go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. When, you, when you see Bluger, Garland, and, and Joshua against Lowry, Appleton, and Niederreiter, I thought that was going to be one of the great sub-stories on Saturday. And I think you got a sense of it when you saw what Adam Lowry did on Saturday night. That's exactly, you know, those are tough, those guys are tough to find. And that's, in many ways, Dakota Josh was a little bit of the Adam Lowry for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, and they better hope he gets back sooner than later. Lowry's an absolute beast. Yeah. No, I have him on my team. I thought yeah. he was an inspired choice, too, uh, as captain. Yeah. Uh, of well, he's, listen, he's... We all know Dave very well, and we know the character of Dave Lowry, and I think that Adam Lowry is just a chip off the old block. Mm -hmm. Two, uh, four five-on-threes. Um, have you ever seen anything quite like that? I mean, uh, we've got indelible memories of Sammy Sallow in the playoffs for the Vancouver Canucks against the Sharks, but even that wasn't four five-on-threes. Four five-on-threes without a major, which yeah. which to me which, which to me was was – because I actually uh, – yesterday afternoon I was juggling a few a few shows and a few games – and so I, I saw the first of the six, the, the one at the end of the second period to make it 5-3, and then went away from the Canuck game, and somebody actually sent a text saying the Canucks have imploded. Uh, so I had to go back and rewind and watch it all. And then I had to go back to the summary and look at all the penalties and say, holy smokes, it's not, you know, nobody got thrown out, no, mis no game misconducts. But, you know, delay a game penalty, which is a fact of life, nothing you can do about it. And as Tockett said after the game, too many silly stick fouls, and you got to watch it. It's and, uh, and, and then and the rest was just, and hey, and a, how many, you know, when you get a hat trick and two of them are for skate, come on. Some of it's a little bit of luck, too. Oh, right? totally. They had some bad luck working against them uh, there as well. And, and you know what? Consciously or subconsciously, refs do manage games. Uh, again, whether that is conscious or oh, not, they, I, don't think, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's embarrassing to say consciously. They, yeah. Sure they, do. So, sure they do. So it is a little stunning, stunning that it got to four, five, one, threes, because I don't think the refs enjoy doing that. No, but but and that's why the, the Miller penalty of all that was yes. they had no choice. They had no right. choice. Right. You know the others the others are subjective. That one was objective. Yeah. How's that, Maddie? That's my uh, that's my English. There you go. That's why you're teaching. That. Damn good, that's John. Why well he's done. teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, by the way, I, in my teaching, I use too many metaphors. Just for the record. So. Mm. <laughs> uh, last question from me: Will Vegas or Edmonton? in the Pacific division take as big a swing as the Canucks have trade deadline wise on Elias Lindholm. Do you expect to see a similar level player added by either of those hockey clubs between now and March 8th? Well, uh, I mean, nothing would surprise me with, with the Golden Knights. I mean, Kelly now has the reputation of 
swinging for not only the inside fence, but the outside fence. I mean, it's swinging to get the ball out of the stadium. How's that? There's my metaphor for the day. He's um, like Steph Curry. He's taking the oh, half court three pointers these days. I, I'm sure Kelly. I'm sure Kelly's got like five plans right now on the whiteboard and trying to figure out how to do the third party deal because they don't have enough cap space if they if they're the guy that they want is out there. Um, I think Edmonton will be a little more methodical about it. Uh, I do think they're going to try to improve their hockey club. The question becomes: Is do you want to do it? Um, your top six or your bottom six. And right now the top six is pretty darn good uh, with, with the way they're going. And, and, and really one of the best stories in Edmonton, particularly now is um, the comeback season of Evander Kane, you know, Evander Kane now as all of a sudden Evander Kane has 20 goals. Uh, and so if you expect that scoring touch to continue for Kane, through the rest of the season. And if the answer is yes, then you can probably not spend as much uh, time worrying about the top six as you're trying to find another depth forward to, to try to help in the penalty kill, to try to help continue a little bit more of what's going on on the Ryan McLeod line or the Derek Ryan line. Uh, who were the three kings who had the hat trick? Um, Curry. Curry. Robitaille. Okay, stop right there. And Mike Donald. Very hey! good, John Shannon. Yeah. See, we Mike do bring Donnelly. you on for history. You remember Mike Donnelly, a three-time 20-goal scorer in the National Hockey League, the last time we saw three hat-tricks yeah. in a game. And Luke Robitaille, people, like, Luke Robitaille could, could score. I mean, that's oh, yeah. The, I mean, he, was, he was an amazing goal scorer. He really skate, was. Wasn't that big, late-round draft pick, but, boy, could he find the back. And, by the way, when he got to L.A., he couldn't speak English. Yeah. You know, lived, lived at Marcel Dion's house and learned mm-hmm. how to speak English. From Marcel Dion, so neither of them can speak English still, so it's great. And he's gotten marginally better in forty years, and yet he is still the toast of town there. Yeah, in oh, Los Angeles, absolutely. what energy absolutely. he brings! Wonderful stuff, John. Thanks for this. Catch up next week. Cheers, boys. Sick Harrison Price from Wall Center. You can text us 778-402-9680. On football, NFL offseason now, about to hit full swing. This from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Virtually no one around the NFL expects Russell Wilson to return to the Broncos next season. He's accepting offers on his mansion in Denver, which is a pretty strong indication. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the many quarterbacking situations around the league to keep an eye on, including Baker Mayfield, free agent. Does he resign in Tampa? Kirk Cousins, free agent. Health there, too. Seems to be a lot of people connecting Cousins to it, the Atlanta Falcons. And then, of course, the Bears. Do they take Caleb Williams with the first overall pick? Do they trade out of the first overall pick for a second consecutive year and stick with Justin Fields? Then there's this on the Seahawks. Uh, a Hawk Mania account has done the math. The Seahawks are actually $5 million over the cap as it stands right now. And so don't be surprised if you see some players released before June 1st to get their, their cap in order, or even earlier if they want to be players in free agency. Uh, the account lists five guys to keep an eye on. Jamal Adams... I, I think we can all understand that one. 
but also safety Quandre Diggs, wide receiver Tyler Lockett, tight end Will Disley, defensive tackle defensive tackle Brian Mone. Um, boy, it'd be a shame to lose Lockett and Diggs. They're still good players, and if you lose Diggs and Adams, suddenly you're pretty thin at safety. Not that Adams is a true safety. Uh, Disley would further um, thin out the tight end depth there. And, of course, if you lose Lockett, you probably need a third receiver to pair with DK and Jackson Smith in Jigba. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting offseason in Seattle as well, and, and we have talked, could there be a quarterback move there with Geno Smith, Drew Locke, and holding the 16th overall pick? It feels like a it feels like a rejig. It feels mm-hmm. like a well, that, uh, reordering yeah. well, of mean, things in Seattle. Know, Schneider has the keys to the kingdom, yep. right? New head coach, and you haven't gotten far enough two straight years with Geno Smith, despite how good the story has been and despite how well he has played for the most part. You just you just wonder, like again, we've said this. That's a pretty high low mm-hmm. bar for Seattle up until this yeah. point. Like, do you rejig and actually get worse now? Mm-hmm. Then this from Adam Schefter, starting today and over the next two weeks, NFL teams can designate the franchise or the transition tags. Uh, It's a pretty good list. The pass rushers, Josh Allen in Jacksonville, Brian Burns in Carolina, T. Higgins, the wide receiver in Cincinnati, Uh, Baker Mayfield's on that list as well, Christian Wilkins, Justin Matabike, the defensive tackles in Miami and Baltimore, Antoine Winfield, the safety in Tampa, Michael Pittman, the receiver in Indianapolis, Jalen Johnson, the corner in Chicago, and a few others. And look, players load these designations. It keeps them away from that big free agent jackpot for an additional year. And so oftentimes, if teams can't get together on a deal with these players who would be worthy of the franchise or transition tags, you can see trades there. In fact, a lot of people were surprised that Carolina did not trade Brian Burns at the trade deadline, given that they were desperately out of the playoffs. So, you know, we've said this about the NFL now going on, what, five years or so. It used to be a no-trade league. It used to be a really not a very fun league at all when it came to trades or, or even player movement. Um, it's a different animal these days. You see big, big trades, including quarterbacks with Russell Wilson a couple of years ago. So keep your uh, keep your eye on those names, your ear open to see if any of those guys might become available over the next two weeks before those franchise and transition tags are to come due. Is there a chance to get somebody fun, Seattle? Do you think there's a well, chance that they I mean, acquire? I think the cap space, I mean, you've... First things first, Leonard Williams, you've paid a couple of draft picks to get him. Good player, a defensive tackle. Are you going to re-sign him? Um, then, of course, the quarterback situation, and then you know that draft pick, 16th overall. Of course, the Hawks have not been a trade-up team. Is this the year they trade up for a quarterback? Hmm. All right, poll question results from Monday where, well, There was only one story for us on Monday. That was the Canucks 10-7 loss. What's to blame? We had goaltending, sorry, discipline, goaltending, officials, penalty killing. Who did the people say, Blake, or what did the people say? People said penalty killing. No, they said discipline, Hmm. 50%. 28% said officials, 13% said penalty killing, 9% said goaltending. 
JP, you cannot take that many penalties and expect to win. Burn this one. Lyle, I rarely complain, but that was a white towel on a stick game. Chris says, too easy to blame the refs. After three games, adjust. And yeah, this penalties have been a thing with the Canucks for a while here. Mitch says, none of the above. They aren't a fast team. They get chasing the puck. They are in trouble. We'll get penalties and outshot. Yeah, they're not the speediest team in the league. I would take issue with that's a white towel game. You had a three-goal lead in the third, in the second period. I, I realize people are upset about no whistle on that goal mouth scramble. Again, does Casey DeSmith clearly have the puck frozen at any point? Ian Cole does, Moments but that's later, not the yeah. rule. Um, I think it's a... Uh... It's a it's a pretty frantic scene. Mm-hmm. So I think the the ref got caught up in the franticness of the players around the goaltender rather than looking at the goaltender. I think it was enough. There's no chance the, the ref saw the puck for the entirety. No, of that. no, no. There's not. But if the puck's under Ian Cole, is he right not to blow the whistle? If he knew that it was there, I don't know that he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still. Even at that point, well, five four game, five five game. Ultimately, can I? Wally Bono rule: Don't put yourself yeah, in a position. Yeah, for sure. And, and hey, it was eight seven with two minutes left. Mm-hmm. I mean, can with I the four, power play, can and I they got a power gamers? play. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be mm-hmm. we'll be talking about that game for a long time. Yeah. Errors and omissions. We're going back to Friday here. On a um, small one, on JPAT. He said they were tied for ninth in power play percentage. They were actually 10th. They were decimal points behind the New Jersey Devils. Wow, that's a stickler. Wow. Mm -hmm. And we also wondered about, was there not a significant Cam Talbot trade once? Uh, The answer is yes. It was Cam Talbot and a seventh-round pick that went for a second, third, and a seventh. So I'm not sure if you considered that a second round, a significant trade. It was Cam Talbot to the Oilers with a seventh from the Rangers for a second, a third, and a seventh. So we were looking at the goal. That's market. mid. It's medium. Yeah. 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 Not a blockbuster by any stretch. Uh, no. No, I, I think that's fair to say. Grady, nothing from the inbox? No. Okay. We thank you for listening. A reminder to subscribe to us, Rinkwide Vancouver, Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcasts. A reminder, Thursday night, Greta, watch party, fundraiser for Canuck Place, doors open at 6 o'clock, 70 West Cordova, $10 tickets, nationgear.ca. Uh, follow on social, that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support those community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.